Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Hi there, and welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. How are you doing? Great. One of the big headlines this week came from Tesla. Elon Musk held a big unveiling of the Tesla Semi. And here's a snippet of what it sounded like. But the Tesla, the Tesla Semi will go 0 to 60 in 5 seconds. So that, that's by itself or with a trailer. Now, at 80,000 pounds max gross vehicle weight, that's the most amount of weight you can carry on a U.S. highway. This is the real-time acceleration of a Tesla Semi. That, on the left, the thing that looks like it's not moving is a diesel truck. Give it a moment. I'm sorry to bore you. I apologize. It's boring. I know. Eventually it'll get there. All right. Even with 80,000 pounds pulling max gross, getting 60 miles an hour in 20 seconds. That's what it can do. Now, what about up a hill? Okay. The, the best diesel trucks can only do 45 miles an hour up a 5% grade. Tesla Semi can do 65 miles an hour at 5% grade. That's 65 miles an hour continuous at max gross. What this means is that if, you've got a, if you're pulling a load over the Rockies or some mountainous terrain up a hill, you, you're earning per mile. You're earning 50% more per mile than you are in a diesel truck. That's a gigantic difference. So, um, now, one of the biggest questions we've been asked about uh, electric trucks is, well, how far can they go? Because, well, let's find out. So, 500-mile range. Alan, lots of cheers there, and Musk is promising delivery in 2019. But as you point out in the latest edition of the Smart Driving Cars newsletter, the real emphasis when it comes to trucking and self-driving should maybe be on the safety features. Absolutely. That, in a sense, any of the uh, new technology, certainly the self-driving, it has to be safe. If it's not safe, uh, it's not going to be adopted. It's not going to be permitted. It's uh, it's game over. Uh, so uh, the focus is really on safety. And I think that uh, what's, I think, nice about the, what Elon wants to do is he wants to make it much safer for truck drivers and take some of the the pressure and 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 the the anxiety and all the difficulty associated with uh, with driving and make it make it a a better occupation and so if he does really create that that wonderful uh, cab with with screens all over the place um a lot of people will want to drive trucks and uh, and they'll be more productive and i think everybody will be happy 
Uh, certainly, uh, if he does it uh, with the electric propulsion and he does what he claims, uh, it will be more efficient. Um, uh, the trucking companies will get benefit from that, and everybody will be happy. But no, he actually said he actually said that uh, the Tesla semis traveling in convoys would well, have economic benefits over rail travel. Well, I think the the convoy thing is 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 just wrong. I mean, I, that's not what you there are very few places that there is sufficient uh, truck density that you would have a convoy that's that's of any length. The reason we have convoys on railroads is because the train only leaves once a day. So if you have the trucks only leaving once a day, then of course there'll be a convoy. The trucks leave all throughout the day, and they're, they get separated. So the the whole convoy thing is is just goofy. And and originally that had to do with platooning because the U.S. Department of Transportation wanted to push the uh, DSRC communications, and this was a way to to mo- move the connected vehicle concept. And in the end, um, um, it's all going to collapse. Getting back to the safety aspect, uh, Musk said that if a driver in one of his semis had a medical emergency, uh, the vehicle would be able to stay in its lane, slowly come to a stop, and if the driver doesn't respond, the truck would call for help. Yes, of, of course, that is that is all doable in, in, in a sense. If it, In any of the self-driving concepts, um, at some point, they have to anticipate that the driver may need to take over. And if the driver is not capable or doesn't respond to the takeover, they will then pull over and stop. So that has to be part of the design, and, and that's good. Now, whether or not you have additional monitors uh, on the on the driver him or herself and you know that there's a medical emergency or that the someone pushed a button uh then of course it, it's it's able to do that it's going to need that ability uh to pull over and stop all the time when it's in self driving mode uh at, at from the beginning uh to the end of that whole cycle of self driving and i know you've been uh sort of preaching about this for for a long time now that a lot of the technology that could do just that could be employed today right absolutely it, it it's it's very close to being here i think you know some of the standards need to be tightened up uh, to say uh you know the emergency automated braking uh don't wait until a collision is imminent and and uh, to stop uh, start just a, a second earlier and then the collision won't be imminent. You can avoid it. And certainly, if it is imminent, apply the brakes uh, as hard as you can uh, to stop a collision and not have a collision, not at some 50% level to just mitigate the collision. Uh, the objective today is not just mitigating a crash. It's avoiding the crash. It's not, ha- it's not having it in the first place. And that's where we need to be on this technology. Yeah, Tesla gets a lot of these splashy headlines, but there's been more and more attention in the media to what's going on with autonomous vehicle technology. An edition of the New York Times Magazine this month was titled The Tech and Design Issue, Life After Driving. And in your newsletter, you said, wow. 
<laughs> wow. I mean, the, the whole issue, the, the whole issue of New York Times magazine devoted to this topic. I mean, who would have thought that it, that it would be thought of as having this much uh, importance and value to society? And of course, I think it deserves it. So, um, you know, kudos to the New York Times uh, magazine for bringing out the issues and putting it out there. It's mostly well written. Um, and I agree with, of course, most of it and some things I, of course, disagree with, but that's just me. And, uh, and, uh, I guess we've reached a whole new plateau of this in the whole public consciousness that it, um, it's deserved, uh, or that the New York Times magazine editors uh, thought so much as devoting the whole issue to this topic. And one of, one of your comments related to the the article, the New York Times magazine, were some words of caution uh, and the implementation of ride sharing when pertinent. Yes, because uh, you know a lot of. <laughs> The, the thought of getting uh, to uh, this uh, this end of driving is um, is the fact that uh, that uh, we will establish this utopian society of mobility but if we're all still in a vehicle by ourselves uh, but not just not driving it well we do nothing about congestion and in fact because it's so much easier to get to places we'll all want to go to places even more and so congestion's going to go through the roof. And the only real way to get uh, to deal with congestion is this, is to have it so that when a lot of people want to go from A to B, they don't all have their own car wrapped around them that they maybe share a ride. Um, and so the, that's the key piece so that in fact, uh, in a congested lane, instead of having uh, four vehicles there, you only have one because uh, four people are traveling together or maybe three people are traveling together. So instead of having three vehicles, you have one. So if you do that in a 405 in, in L.A. or on the New Jersey Turnpike in, in New Jersey or on Route 1, then basically that that begins to eliminate uh, congestion. But the only way we can do that is if we share a ride and uh, are not uh, appalled by it and uh, and just do it we do it in elevators you know uh, if there are a bunch of people waiting for an elevator we don't say oh you go you go you go and then i'll go all by myself you say well i'll hop in with them what the heck speaking of the uh, of ride sharing uber is rolling out what it calls express pool in boston and san francisco at first more to come uh, riders meet at express pickup spots and share rides, save money. You've been researching this for a while, and it sounds like exactly what you were just talking about. Absolutely. I think uh, we've been looking, my students and I have been looking at uh, what opportunities exist um, if people might be willing to uh, just walk, you know, certainly less than five minutes to a point. Uh, might enough people show up at that point? Uh, at the at appropriate times, uh, such that they could easily just get into the same vehicle together and just go. Think of it again as the elevator bank in a building. You know, you walk in the front door, but you walk a few steps and you all gather in front of an elevator and one comes in a, in a minute or so and you all get in. 
And so it's really nice to see that they're doing that. And, and what we found that uh, if we looked at this uh, just in the in the uh, patterns that, that people currently travel, that in New Jersey, you could basically take half the vehicles off the road uh, uh, over the, the period of a day. And uh, during the peak hours and peak direction, when we have the, the biggest congestion problems, uh, then the, the chances of people riding together are even greater. And there you take two out of every three vehicles or three out of every four vehicles off the road. And you really do uh, address congestion. And so it's nice that, that Uber is actually, you know, doing an imp implementation uh, of the kinds of simulations that we've been doing. And uh, currently we're doing it. Not, we've done it in New Jersey. Last year we uh, did our first attempt at the United States. And in my, in my class this year, we're uh, doing the whole United States. And um, uh, in January, we'll be able to, I guess, announce um, what we think the implications of such service would be if implemented in Peoria or Milwaukee or Phoenix or Los Angeles or you name it. And, um, and it will be um, can't wait to get the results. Do you, is there much to overcome when it comes to, I guess, class distinctions or something akin to that with uh, many people in society saying being willing to take mass transit and others in so-called upper class saying, no, that's not for me? Well, I don't know. I, you know. We all get on airplanes and and sit next to people for, you know, three or four or five or six hours stuck in a tube. So you know, we can, we know how to grin and bear it if we really have to. And uh, and so I don't know. We've, we've been sold for so long uh, by Madison Avenue, the concept uh, that, uh, my goodness, we want to be alone accelerating at uh, from zero to 60 and in who knows what and traveling at uh, 160 miles an hour in our own vehicles. I guess to enhance our manhood or something like that. I don't know that, uh, you know, is that really what we want or is it just that, uh, the, uh, the automobile, uh, uh, industry for the last hundred years? Um, that's, that's, uh, that's the way that they sold these things to us. So, um, I don't know. Um, we'll wait and see. Uh, What's encouraging to me is, as I wrote a you know a couple of weeks ago or so, when they announced that Amazon, I mean, even the thought that we might give up access to our homes, our front door for for an Amazon delivery person to deliver uh, packages to us, just suggests that um, boy, we're really our whole privacy or thought of privacy is, is enormously changing uh, as soon as there's value to this. So. If somebody uh, provides us with a way to get around very effectively and very affordably, uh, and all we have to do is maybe, uh, you know, sit next to a person uh, while we're on our phones and doing our own thing, um, we may say, hey, that's fine. Interesting. That was just some food for thought that I thought I'd throw out. Uh little bit of history here. Bloomberg had a report not long ago where it pointed out that so many players working on self-driving solutions 
can be linked back to the Pentagon-funded DARPA challenge from more than 10 years ago, and you were certainly there for that. Yep. <laughs> it's, uh, I think, and I think all of us that were there at that time doing that, I think we're, as I put, we're still all in on this thing. Uh, it was, it was a, it was a real pivoting point. It was a game changer for the whole thought about how to do this. And, uh, you know, prior to the DARPA challenges, we, we had automated highways. I worked on automated highway studies in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. But it was always that you had to have an automated highway for automated vehicles. And and what, what I would say was uh, New Jersey Department of Transportation isn't going to build an automated highway until there are automated vehicles, and maybe not even then. And GM isn't going to build automated vehicles until there's an automated highway. And so that uh, basic uh, chicken and egg situation uh, just suggested that uh, such a concept was uh, was basically totally infeasible. It just wasn't the right approach. And with uh, just a very little amount of money, uh, DARPA sets up a competition, and all of a sudden, out of that competition, uh, certainly those of us that participated in it uh, and uh, some other folks realized, my goodness, uh, if we can just uh, focus our efforts on vehicles, we might be able to put enough intelligence in a vehicle so it could go out and, and go by itself driverless. Um, uh, on existing roads and not ask uh, anything of the existing drivers and not ask anything of the existing environment. And therefore, you could focus your attention on getting the vehicle to work without having to worry about where the, the money's going to come from for to have the infrastructure to work. And you could then uh, get a vehicle to work on the existing infrastructure. You know, we all, a lot of people like to use other people's money. This whole concept was use other people's infrastructure. Infrastructure here, uh, meaning uh, the GPS satellite no, system? No, infra no um, infrastructure, meaning the roadways, the, the trillions right. upon trillions of dollars invested in the roadways. Uh, so, you know, if you just go use the existing roadways, then, uh, then you don't have to build your own. And, uh, and that's just an, uh, that just allows the system to get started. So, you know, that's what Google's been doing for the past eight years. They've been out there trying to just get the first one to work on existing streets. Once they get the first one to work, they're going to be able to replicate that thing so easily that they'll have the fleet working in before Anybody knows that um, uh, any time has passed. Along those lines, uh, Clean Technica is reporting that uh, Jaguar Land Rover has begun testing self-driving vehicles on public roads in the U.K. for the first time. Uh, that follows a, a number of other firms starting self-driving vehicle testing in, in the U.K. over this past year, including Renault and, and Nissan. Uh, another step forward, it's being done all over the world. It's being done in, in Japan. It's being done in China. It's being done in England. It's being done in, in, in Phoenix. It's being done in, in, in San Francisco, Pittsburgh, all over the place. 
we do need to point out that in each of these cases, there is an operator on board and there is someone ready to take over. So it's, it really is self-driving, but, but the idea is to test the safety aspects of all of these things and to get them to a point where, uh, they can come to market. So, uh, there's no doubt that um, that Land Rover and Jaguar and Mercedes and BMW and Volkswagen and Volvo and everybody else realizes that at least um, the the self-driving piece of all this, which is really comfort and convenience to the driver, that lets the driver at least at some times in some places take his or her hand off the wheel and and off and feed off the brakes is as i like to call it it's the new corinthian leather of selling uh, <laughs> vehicles or it's the new uh, chrome and fins uh i think the the buying public will will just want to buy this stuff and i'm sure that the car companies all realize that in fact um this is the way they're going to be selling cars to individuals in the very, very near future. Uh, so, yes, they're out there testing it. There is still some convincing to do, though. We've talked about this before. Forbes has a report now written by the CEO of Harris Insights that says they ask people to assess their perceived risk of autonomous driving with other activities where being in control isn't entirely certain. of the respondents said riding in an autonomous car was very or somewhat risky compared to 72% who said the same thing about surfing. 85% said riding a motorcycle or shark cage diving. So they're comparing riding in an autonomous vehicle to those activities. Well, I don't know. Did they ask them if these people ride elevators? (laughs) I mean, you know, and if they ask them if they ride elevators or did they ask them if next time they go to an airport, are they going to choose to walk between terminals or take the uh, automated people mover? Or when they're in Paris, are they going to use the automated uh, metro or are they going to choose to walk? I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh, and of course, if you if you put in the mind some people, oh, cage and sharks, oh, I must be. A, I, I I hate. I, I just I just hate those those questionnaires and those surveys because because just by the questions they presuppose the answer. They they lock the person into into an answer, and I um, garbage. Sorry. <laughs> Well, that's it for this edition of the On That Note for, for the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Find us at smartdrivingcar.com on SoundCloud and look for my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. 
to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.